Another Way to Play, episode 46. This is Ken Lubin, host of the Executive Athletes Podcast. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone that I'm proud and very excited to now call a friend, uh, as well as a fellow athlete, competitor, and podcast host. Uh, this is Ken Lubin, host of the Executive Athletes Podcast. Uh, Ken Started out uh, his life early on as a ski racer, got into uh, a lot of different athletic endeavors through his high school, college, and post-collegiate career, and then found his way into the executive recruiting world. Uh, And then through some effort uh, and some ideas and what have you, started the Executive Athletes Podcast, where he interviews people who have gone on to do very amazing things in the corporate space, um, professionally out out of an athletic uh, background. Uh, I had the honor of being on his show, so you want to uh, hear my side of that story, um, go check out his podcast. He'll be posting that fairly soon. But in this episode, uh, Ken and I have some really fantastic conversation. There's a couple points which you're going to want to rewind and listen to again um, because it's just so good. Uh, there, there was... Um, a point when he started to talk about his personal development journey, why he started into that space, what he did, um, and how it could be applicable for you. He also talked about a quote that his mom gave him early on, which is, uh, if you don't know what to do, uh, then go make enough money so that you can do what you want. We get into a little bit of a passion versus buckling down and just doing something for the sake of the money uh, conversation there. And then he also talks about uh, how he works on himself regularly through journaling with very little outline and just starts writing until he gets something out of his head. So there's a lot of value really throughout this whole episode. So you're going to want to listen to it all the way through and probably rewind it and uh, go back and listen a couple more times. So. Uh, Before we get into this, uh, just remember, I would love to connect with you personally. My Calendly link's down in the show notes along with Ken's information, so go down there, find it, get on the schedule. Let's have a chat, just get to know each other a little bit better. Um, Would love to connect with you one-on-one, and obviously, if you get value out of this or any other episode, please head over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review. It really helps the podcast grow, gives me some critical feedback, and really helps with the algorithm. So uh, without any further ado... Here is my awesome and fantastic conversation with Ken Lubin. Ken, man, appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm really excited to have you here. No, this is awesome, Hans. I, you know, I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. Big fan of it. It's, you know, I love the another way to play, right? You know, I think everyone gets sort of ingrained in their own or thinking or outside thinking of the way that you need to do things. And there's always another way. So thanks for having me on board. 
Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. So given a little bit of your background in the intro, but why don't we back it up a little bit and, and build a little bit of context and talk about where your story first began? You know, the story is a very interesting story. I grew up, um, I grew up in Central Mass, and I was—I remember watching, for those of you of of age, Wide World of Sports, and I always wanted to ski race. I didn't even know how to ski, but I just remember watching, you know, watching the downhills from Europe and the races from Europe on on a very fuzzy TV screen, bad TV screen back in the day when you had to, you know, be standing in the corner with one hand above your head in order to get the uh, with the antenna in order to get the signal, but. Um, that's really where sort of the dream of becoming a ski racer became. And, you know, it's, like I said, I started getting on snow around a little bit later than most, around 10, and just wanted to, you know, just wanted to go after it as much as I can. Um, spent weekends with my parents or with my dad or with my mother going in different directions, the different ski hills. I was fortunate enough to live not far from one as well. So, was able to be on snow as, as much as possible for a kid for central Massachusetts. And then, you know, continued to grow as, as a kid. I wasn't a great athlete. I was a great skier and, you know, a little bit heavier than most of the other kids that are out there. And I said, and I had started racing and really loved it, but I didn't really get the performance out of myself that I wanted and said, hey, if I want to get better, I just, I got to get in shape. I was like 13, 14 years old and start training and say, hey, you, you got to eat better. You got to get stronger you got to be faster you got to be able to run uphill you got to be able to run downhill and, and that type of stuff and really just moved into just becoming very aware of all right fitness strength nutrition everything else in order to become the best athlete i could i was i didn't really have any talent i wasn't very gifted at anything and i'm still not and i know the only way for me to succeed is just outwork people um, and try to outthink people the, the best way that i can but I was fortunate enough um, back then to go to Junior Olympics, with a, which are now Easterns in the, in the U.S. for ski racing. Had an opportunity to race at Col in, through college, raced at Colby Sawyer College in New Hampshire. Funny thing is, my, my senior year, I was a little burnt out from alpine racing, and I was really getting big into bike racing. So I said, I'll well give it a shot and race Nordic. So actually, I raced Nordic, <laughs> NCAA Division One Nordic, my my senior year. It was, it was a blast. It was an eye opening and experience, but there was really no better way to talk, you know, increase VO2 max, increase fitness mm -hmm. to just go out there and really to get your school to help you train for bike racing is really what I was doing. One thing I always did in the summer was try to try to race my bike as much as possible because it was a great way to number one, be in shape, be fit, but had a little bit more success doing that through senior and high school going through college than I did actually racing ski racing in college funny thing is back then in the late 80s early 90s you could actually as a junior make a few hundred bucks a weekend which you know was a ton of money uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> bike racing wow. so yeah so we would do that and did that all through college and sort of went with the dream of hey can I become a pro bike racer and never you know I got the semi-pro mountain bike racer I was living the dream of coaching ski racing ski racing bike racing in the summer but you know i was naive to really naive of what was happening you know and that's when the whole world of epo started taking off and i had no idea what that was and and everything else i just thought hey just go out there and train harder and train harder and probably became you know super overtrained number one but number two you know competing with a guy that 
that were on alternative substances. So got into, you know, so at that point, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, said to me, are we doing this for the rest of our lives? And that was about it. You, can't, you don't make, make much money coaching ski racing um, in the East yeah. or really anyways. So I got into the world of executive recruiting back in 1999 and 20 years later, I'm still doing it. I think it was, I got into it because I had a pulse. Um, it was the heyday of the dot-com world. It wasn't really anything, but I knew that if I just picked up, kept picking up the phone and hard work that things would happen, that deals would happen. And that's its own learning experience of itself. And just continued, I love, I still love to compete. I still love to be fit. The event, you know, the events I would do became further and further apart, but they became bigger and bigger and longer. You know, I started with doing some smaller, you know, like one day adventure races, four or five hour type stuff, and then moved into doing multi-day type stuff. So that's where I am now, but I'm sort of in a personal crossroads too of what's next you know, and where do you go from there? But, you know, just experiment, experimenting with other things, with CrossFit, with combining, you know, running, but really doing, you know, trying to help my kids sort of, you know, in their world of ski racing of what they're doing now too. So that's a little bit about my journey. Thank you for walking us through all of that. You know, it's, it's interesting. It struck me that you know, through your experience, like especially as a young person through college and then after college, um, you were really just pursuing, you know, your various biking and skiing races. And and with, you didn't mention a whole lot of uh, professional uh, endeavors in there, except for obviously coaching and that sort of thing. And then, um, and then at some point you decided you needed to get into the real world, quote unquote, and then get into executive recruiting. Can you talk about that transition for you and how you went from sort of athlete coach to um, more formal professional? Uh, well, I don't know if I'm still a formal professional, but <laughs> <laughs> probably no. why I asked you to be on the show. <laughs> Just, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. But- I'm 46 and I'm, I've got a 46 year old body with like a 23 year old mind. Right. But you know, and I think I can still do everything. And just a little bit more sore each morning and a little bit more supplements, right. That, that I try mm-hmm. to keep together. But with that being said, it was, you know, it, it was a struggle. Um, it's tough to go from one, you know, sort of your identity of one to your identity of something else. And this is a lot of things I coach people on in making that transition. It's, you know what, you don't have to give up what you love um, to, to move into the professional world. I think so many people are like, they come out of college and they, I got to stop playing the sport I wanted, that I played with that brought me to where I am. And then they're just done. They get fat, they get out of shape and they're miserable. Right. And in order to, for me, in order to make that transition, I just, I had to just keep, you know, I, I had to feel fit. I had to just keep going. I just had to, you know, I sort of, it, it became ingrained in me of, you know, just, it was something that made me feel good, I guess is what it was, you know, versus, you know, going out, going boozing or doing drugs or doing all that type of stuff. And it was always something that was, integral for me to perform and to perform well. Um, and what I did, you know, and I think that's actually really translated well into my, my professional life because it, it keeps balance, right? It keeps balance in your body. It keeps balance in your mind. Um, I, I don't know anyone who goes out there, you know, who after a workout says, Oh, I wish I didn't do that. Right. Not, not unless you get hurt or injured, 
it's one of those things that just resets your body and mind. And that's one thing I just really stayed doing the entire time. I didn't want to get out of shape. I wanted to continue to see what I can do and what I can pursue. Yes. I'm, you know, I'm not traveling all over the world and racing every weekend or, or doing that type of stuff. And, but I always keep one or two big events on the calendar to keep me motivated. I, I really like that you, you brought that back in. Cause I, I, I do see that a lot uh, when people sort of give up their physical pursuits. Cause a lot of people that I am friends with are obviously athletes and like, like you, I mean, you see people sort of go different directions with that. And, and you're right. You don't have to give up the physical component of what it was you love to do in your twenties or your teens, just cause you've gotten a job and you're, or you've, you're starting a company or you're doing something like that. It, you can incorporate that back in. Obviously you're not going to be at the level that you maybe once were. Um, but, but getting the endorphins going, getting the sensations of racing and, you know, skiing and rowing and whatever it is like, keeping that going is I, I think really crucial for a transition point. It is. And I think, like I said, it's, and, and a lot of people ask, you know, they ask, do you think you would be where you are if you had just focused, you know, had given up your other stuff and just focus on work. And I say completely, because if I didn't do this other stuff, I'd be much more of a disaster than I am mm -hmm. now. Right. And I think, mm -hmm. and they're sort of shocked with that answer because they're like, well, you know, why aren't you working a hundred hours a week and doing this and doing that? I'm like, because I don't need to, because I'm doing this other stuff, right. I'm much more efficient. I understand time much better. I know that in order for me to go get a training session in or to leave early on Fridays to drive, drive North or to go go do something, I have to be super efficient with my time. Number one, number mm -hmm. two, it's discipline. And number three, it's, it makes you feel good. Like when did you realize that that was going to be part of your journey relative to, um, you know, staying fit, keeping races on the calendar? Was that from the very beginning the in 1999 when you first got into it or did that have to evolve over some time and some trial and error? No, I think I, it, it started at the beginning um, because that was, you know, I think it was probably, I was holding on to my old identity as well. So it allowed me to sort of bridge the gap between the two, right? Is, and, it, and it worked well. It worked like, you know, believe me, there was plenty of times early on, I'm like, why the hell am I cold calling people? Like, this just sucks. You know, I, I'm just going to go back to coaching. But it's, it was one of the, but then in the same sentence, it was like, well, I've never given up on anything else. I'm not going to give up on this, right? So mm -hmm. how can I become better? How can I learn to become better? And probably like three or four years into my career and you know, getting the crap beat out of me and having deals go sideways and doing everything else, I, I really started just focusing on like personal development. And you know, I had always focused on you know, athletic development, but never really personal development. And that's, you know, that sort of shifted gears for me significantly of how can I become better as a person or business wise or, you know, that type of stuff. And, you know, that's one thing I still try to do to this day is really focusing on becoming better overall in many different ways. So you, you found that personal development journey, you know, relatively quickly in your career, but it obviously took some time. Like, what was it made you like, how did you find it? How did you realize that was something that you wanted to have part of your, your world? And then um, what have you taken out of that and, and implemented that's made a difference for you? I think I being competitive, I was just sick of sucking, right? I was mm -hmm. sick of getting my ass kicked because 
you know, numbers don't lie. The numbers on the board are what you're, what you're producing. And I, you know, I didn't have any formal business education. I had a degree in sports science, right? This was really mm-hmm. never anything I was going to go, go do. And, um, what I did was like, Hey, I just, I, I need to learn. I need to learn to become better. I need to become, learn. How can I get better at sales? How can I get better at business? How can I get better at, you know, these, all these different things that are going to allow me to have the future that I want that are going to allow me to have the income that I want. And one thing my mother always said to me is if you don't really know what you want to do, go make enough money so you can do the things you want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, and I still hold that and I still give that advice to people because everyone's, you know, a lot of people in today's world, especially are looking for this utopian journey where they're going to go and have this self soul fulfilling job. And, you know, there may be, one percent of one percent that ever finds that and it's like hey you know it's called work for a reason and no matter what you're doing it's still work I remember when I was coaching I was working 100 hours a week making fifteen thousand dollars a year you know you figure that mm-hmm. math out and it's like you know but you didn't want to go skiing and you didn't want to go ride your bike you didn't want to do any of that stuff because all you were doing was that and it became work it no longer became pleasure mm-hmm Man, you've, there's a couple of things that you just said that I, I find really critical and fascinating. It sounds to me like you kept your identity of an athlete and you basically took the competition, the coaching, the, the skill development, the practice, the repetition, and, it, and basically took those traits and applied that to your professional life. Is that, is, I guess, is that fair to say? Oh, yes, yeah, 100%, right? And it's like, hey, you know, you believe me, I'm gonna, I'll wear you out before you wear me out, right? One of those types of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just had sort of a client deal go sideways. And they're like, you know, we've looked at 100, you know, 100 candidates, we're not really finding the right person. I'm like, I'll keep going until we find the right person. And you know, like, you know, wore them out versus wearing me out, because it's just, you can always keep going, you can always put one more foot in front of the other. And you know, when you're putting that foot in front of the other, you're going to learn, well, maybe that what foot wasn't in the, <laughs> headed in the right direction, right? Maybe it, yep. that foot should have been angled left a little bit more, right? And, and going in that way. Um, but that's, you know, that's one thing that I always, like I said, I'll wear you out before you wear me out I try to perform that way. That's <clears throat> really, uh, really well said. I think that sort of that grit and that um, tenacity counts for a lot in business. We were talking about this on your show of like, you can't substitute hard work and you definitely can't hack it and, you know, biohack it or whatever. Like it will, like the biohacks and some of the shortcuts and the tips and the apps and this and that will, will absolutely make you a little more efficient, make you better, but it's not going to substitute, you know, the the vast majority of the work that you're going to put in. Not at all. Right. And I think it's sort of like the 10,000 hour rule, right. Is, Mm -hmm you know, sort of the uh, Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule. And it's probably even more than that, I think, to become mm-hmm. world-class at something, you know, right? Here from rowing in the Olympics, it's mm-hmm. it's that. But there's also, like we're, we're chatting on my show, it's a little bit of luck involved, a little bit of, you know, hard work involved, a little bit of right place, right time involvement. And I think that's it. I, I know for me personally, I never really have the luck, luck or the right time, right place part of it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I tell my kids that and it's like, hey, you know, but 
hard work will eventually get you there, right? It might take mm-hmm. you a little bit longer. Incremental advances, incremental steps is huge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching my kids ski race at a, you know, at a fairly young age, and and you watch the kids who are super talented go out there and win all the time. But you know, once they they click into the next age division, they're no longer anymore, and they don't they don't really understand why because mm-hmm. you know a lot of them never really develop the the technical piece to perform at an older level because they were just winning. So, Oh, I'll just keep doing the same thing. Right. And then all of a sudden technique comes into play and drive and desire comes into play. It's, it's easy to win when you're winning, but when you're not winning, <laughs> it, yep. it, it can screw you up, you know, in, in all different ways. The vision that I was just popped into my head of what you were talking about was like the kid who grew really early and just was like the super tall person on the basketball court, like six inches taller than the next kid. He's like, you know, he just reaches up and like no one can get the ball and he's score. Right. We've all seen that kid. We've all probably, or maybe we've been that kid. And then you get to a, another level or people physically catch up with you developmentally and, and with work ethic. And then all of a sudden you're less, you're like, I don't know how to work hard. Basically. It's so interesting how that happens. And I think, I think that happens a lot in, you know, the business space or in entrepreneurial ventures. It's like, you know, some people see the tall kid on the basketball court and sort of think like, Oh, that person has it easier or whatever. So, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't try. However, like if you can, you know, double down on what you're good at with relative to hard work and and put the hours in and do some personal development and skill development, you know, you will catch that person nine times out of 10. No, definitely. And it's, you know, and sometimes it takes longer than, than others, but yeah, we got to realize this is a marathon and not a sprint as well. And your mom said uh, that quote, like, if you don't know what to do, go make enough money so you can do what you want to do. And relative to what we're talking about, putting in work and it's a marathon and a sprint, like, there's a lot of conversation around the passion question, passion in business in particular. And I, and I hear it a lot. And I know my generation is sort of guilty of, of trying to hop around to find what they're passionate about. Um, but I'm wondering for you, like, can you speak to sort of implementing that passion into business and like how important it is versus, you know, finding something that kind of pays the bills that you can, you can then go pursue your other, other avenues with? You know, it's, it's hard, right? it's, I almost, I almost think just the opposite sometimes of don't follow your passion because if you follow your passion, it becomes work and then you hate it. Right. And, and it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but with that being said, you know, I think the passion for you, you need to take the passion that you have for something and then bring that into your work world. Right. So you still have passion and you gotta, you gotta look at things a little bit differently. I was, I was helping, you know, a CEO who's in a really good situation, but he's just, he's sort of bored. He's been there. He's done that. And I'm like, dude, you know, he's probably got one of the best gigs in the industry that he's in that is, um, that's out there. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? Shift, shift your thoughts, shift your passion, you know, of your work passion to, all right, this is going to, how I'm going to leverage my job to 
help change the world, right? Or help my kids or help my family or go help the community. And it's a different, it's a different vibe saying, Hey, you know, I'm losing my passion for my job. Still keep on working on that job, but use that as I I sort of like to call it as your PE fund, right? You know, Mm -hmm. your own personal private equity fund to really go chase and help others really, you know, go after what they're looking for. I don't know if that helps or not, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's it, sort of, you know, it's, it's using your career as a different perspective or looking at your job with a different, with a different light. And there's certainly, I've had a lot of different guests on the show and they've had very different opinions because I've asked a lot of them this, this rough question. It's, it's interesting what you're, what you're suggesting, like take the passions that you have in other areas. So in, in the case of you and I, it's, it's athletics and fitness and, and take that and try and implement that into your work life like to borrow from that excitement and bring it into your your world in some other way like that's going to be really different for everybody um, but then obviously if you get down the track and you're and you have some success in in a role a ceo role or a sales role or any role and you start to get a little bored with it like there there are ways to make a minor tweak to your mindset around that job or around that that industry and probably completely re-engage with it just in a different way. You articulated way better than I did, but it's all about perception, right? Is really what it is. It's, you know, I can't tell you how many people that are like, I can't handle this any longer and they go quit or they go in some completely different direction. And then they're like, you know, six months later, what did I just do? It's, you know, I just threw away this kick-ass thing because I was frustrated for six months. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have to sit down and really, you know, take stock of that. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have to walk away. I just post an article today of, you know, when to walk away and that type of stuff. But in, re- you know, 95%, 98% of the time, it's just, you know, it's a mind, it's just a mindset shift and it's, and it's not hard. Um, well, it is hard. <laughs> it's extremely hard, but it's just, I think it's just being aware that you have to have that mindset shift and, you know, awareness comes first and then action comes, you know, second. Absolutely. That that mindset shift is critical and doing some self work and, and personal development is critical for that. Um, you've worked with a lot of, you know, executives, CEOs, like high level people in business who are, or who are considering a, a transition or, you know, they probably wouldn't be talking to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit like, or at least one of the success myths that you've heard uh, as you've dealt with some of these people? You know, I think the success, yeah, um, the pursuit of dollars, right, I think is probably, you know, the biggest success myth, right, is is what it is. It's like, hey, are like I said earlier, are you going to be able to make a difference? And I think that's where the most successful CEOs are. Are they making a difference in their company? Are they making a difference with their organization? And I think that's happened after the shift that we were originally talking about, but the top, that's not a myth. That's sort of a truth. The, the biggest myths I, you know, I see is that you're just going to be in an organization. And you're going to work your way through the ranks. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen. The only way to really work through the ranks is you almost, you have to leave in order to, you know, to, to go up in your career and have your goals, you know, and, and what are your goals and where are they going to be? You know, that type of stuff. That's really interesting. Uh, no one has said that yet. So you're seeing out there that like, if you want to like actually moving firms is oftentimes a, 
a, a way to sort of advance your career relative to the positions and the, and the titles and the, you know, pay raises or whatever. 100%. I think that's, you know, there's a quote I have on my email is, you know, this was written by Napoleon Hill or Earl Nightingale, you know, back in the twenties. Um, and it says, you know, you, you don't own your job, but you own your career. Um, the company owns your job. And a lot of people, I think that's less so in today's world with sort of the gig economy and everything else. But, you know, the, our parents' generation or some of the pe- older people in my generation, you know, Gen X generation are like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to them and they're going to be loyal to me. And since the last recession of 2008, 2009, 10, I think, you know, I personally think it went into 12, 13, mm-hmm. 14, right? But it's you need to own your what you do. Um, you get hired for one of two reasons. You get hired to save a company money or to make a company money, right? And other than that, it's you're expendable. And I tell everyone that you have to keep, you need to be aware of that. And if you're not aware of that, you're going to be one of the first people to be let go. Wow, that's that's really good advice. When you work with somebody who is thinking about a transition, like how much of your conversation with that person is around this kind of stuff and mindset shifting um, and how much of it is like practical, tactical X's and O's? You know, it's, it's an evolution, right? When I first start, when I first start chatting with someone, it's about the opportunity and then they get excited and then they, you know, start going through the angle. Um, a lot of times you start getting the offer stage, you start getting deeper and deeper and they start getting a bit of cold feet. And a lot of people, the excitement of the change at the beginning is there, right? It's like, it's like something new. It's like dating someone new, but when really push comes to shove and you got to get to the altar is when people start to get a little scared and they, and they forget what they originally started doing, right? Of saying, Hey, I want this in my career. I want that in my career. And all this stuff is really coming there. And now it's like, Oh no, everything I've ever wanted is right here. And people, people get scared of success, right? They sort of get scared of, you know, like, Oh, but I, I need to transition, but they don't want to make that transition. It's like we were chatting about earlier, getting out of, you know, getting out of the comfy warm bed in the morning. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little scary. You don't want to do it, but it, it, it needs to be done um, for most people in order to, you know, to get ahead. Number one, number two, make a little bit more money. But number three, to just get outside of your comfort zone. So many people just become so comfortable in what they're doing. And then when something happens, a recession hits or there's a big riff or a reduction of force and they're out on, you know, they're out on their ass. It's all of a sudden it's super scary. But if you, you know, own those transitions and own your vision, then it makes it much easier. I really love all of that advice. Just for the last couple of minutes, guys, if you're listening, go hit rewind about five, six minutes back and, and re-listen to that because I think there's some really powerful advice in there. Speaking of, of continuing to kind of own your success and push outside your comfort zone, what do you do personally that helps you keep that edge and, and keep pushing forward? You know, one thing I really try to do, I do a lot of journaling, a lot of self-reflection. Um, I've got pages and pages of a word document and every year I just start a new one and it allows you to get out of your own head a lot. Right. And a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people, including myself, I work from home or they don't really have anyone that they confide in. And I think that's really powerful there. It's just getting out of, you know, you just sit down and start typing. You don't need to go in any specific direction. It doesn't need to be any, um, 
you know, follow any outline or anything like that, but it's just about, you know, what do I need to get out of my head today or to start the day? And all of a sudden it's sort of like a workout that you're like, all right, now I'm fresh. I got everything out of my head, my frustrations of the last deal that blew up or, you know, the anticipation of the next one or like, shit, you know, I just feel crummy today. Why do I feel crummy? You know, that type of stuff. And I think that is something that I do pretty much every day or every couple of days. Number two is, you know, I'm always, I schedule a time during the day to work out. And like I was saying earlier, it's, you know, you, you want to be efficient. You want to have time. And um, if you have an hour between nine and 10 and you can go pull a workout in during then, boom, go do it. Right. And don't be afraid or at lunch or before work or after work. And I think that just sort of resets your mind one way or the other. And then, you know, lastly is just realize your career and work is really, it is a marathon. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be, you know, the economy never goes straight up. Um, performance at companies never are constantly making money every quarter unless you're Apple, but we know how that mm -hmm. all started too. But, you know, with that being said, realize that it is a marathon and that you're going to be going through, you know, going through the climbs, going through the drops and, but, you know, hopefully at one point it's going to even out. And then lastly is to just sort of, you know, accept yourself and what you're doing and your role and, and, and how you're doing it. Right. And, and understand that, you know, hard work is instrumental, but also not to kill yourself too. All awesome. Again, go back and re-listen to all of that. I know I'm going to re-listen. Thank you, Ken. appreciate that. We are getting to the end of the time and I want to respect the rest of your day because I know you got some skiing to go do. But I, I have one question that I am curious before we get to the final section, which given the fact that you have kids and, and you have a lot of perspective here, I'm, I'm curious what your answer is. Um, if you could write a semester's worth of curriculum that every student in America would take, um, what would that be and why? Common sense. <laughs> <laughs> How would you go about teaching that? Oh my God. It is, it is crazy, right? You know, they don't teach common sense in schools. I actually, I'll tell you a quick story. A friend of mine was going to donate a million dollars to his college to teach like a common sense course. That was going to be a curriculum about common sense, about investing money, about credit cards, about, you know, learning how to write a letter, right? Or, you know, just all that type of stuff that doesn't really get taught in schools anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, understanding Greek mythology isn't really going to change your life down the road. I understand that you need that, those types of courses to learn, to learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a perspective change as well versus I need to, you know, be a guru in Greek mythology. No, you don't. You just need to learn how to learn how to understand it. But I would teach, you know, kids aren't learning common sense about health. They're not learning fitness. They're not learning common sense about credit cards and a checkbook and a bank account and really understanding that stuff. I think, you know, that was, that was, would be the one course I think that, you know, everyone needs to take. And, you know, it talks about social media. It talks about, you know, the internet, things on the internet are there forever. It's, you know, we know in our sports world, right? Internet results don't lie. All, they'll be there and they never go away, but it's the same thing with everything else. That's, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts because I, I figured you'd have a good answer to that. Um, well, with that, can I want to transition us to the focus five, which is the same five questions we ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Let's do it. 
First question, what book have you gifted most often? I, my favorite book is Lynchpin by Seth Godin. It's, it's a book about being indispensable and, you know, in your career and sort of in your life. It's, and once you realize that, yeah, once you become the linchpin, you know that you have security forever. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I get to do it every week on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Who would that one person be? One person I really admired growing up, and I don't know why, it was, you know, through grade school and starting the eight, Ronald Reagan, the guy, he was one of probably one of the most intriguing people to me throughout life. And, you know, I remember being, I've never been sad about someone dying except for him. So I think it'd probably be Ronald Reagan. That's awesome. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Oh my God, everything. Um, (laughs) What is one thing that most people agree? I think it goes, comes back to like kid in athletics and sort of, you know, of just being realistic around that type of stuff. And, you know, we all, you know, everyone wants to believe that, they're going to be the next, you know, whoever. And it's like, you know, be, be realistic about that stuff. And, you know, that's a hard thing. You know, I try to do, I try to teach that to my kids and everything else. And, and, but a lot of people totally disagree with me on that. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? I get up. I probably do everything. I do everything wrong that they say don't do, but I get up, I grab a cup of coffee Um, I do go check my email and internet stuff and sort of get my social media stuff rolling for the day. And then I start making lunches for the kids. Uh, My wife travels to the office. So I get up, I do all the lunches for them, get them off to the bus and just really get back, you know, get to work around, you know, seven, seven 30 and just start my day then. And then I, uh, I typically work out at lunch. So that's my time that I, I can work out, but I know, because I start so early, I can go for an hour or an hour and a half or whatever I need to, you know, to get in what I want to accomplish. Um, you alluded to the podcast earlier, which uh, I just had the pleasure and honor of being a guest on. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the podcast, where we can find it and where we can find more about you. Online. Yeah, so awesome. You can find the podcast is at executiveathletes.com. I actually put it under the blog, um, the blog heading because of the writing piece of it. There is a podcast link right there as well. Um, you can find out a lot more about me. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn is really my main sort of methodology to, to reach out to people. So at Ken Lubin, it's LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn backslash. I think it's just Ken Lubin. Um, so you can reach out there to me or you can send me emails at Ken and executive athletes.com. Um, that is an email that is, will always be with me. So it's a great spot to reach out. If you have any questions, comments, agree, don't agree, feel free to reach out or yeah, you know, those are the best places to find me and, you know, executive athletes is on Facebook, on Twitter as well, but, uh, you know, less likely, less stuff on those and primarily on LinkedIn. Right on. Well, we will link to the website as well as your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Guys, go down there, connect with Ken, go take a listen to his podcast. He's got some really interesting guests and conversations happening over there. And, you know, Ken, appreciate you being on this morning, man. It's been awesome. You've definitely brought some great value to the audience. And I'm really looking forward to staying connected with you as, as we go into 2020. 
No, this was awesome, Hans. It was an honor to be part of it. And what you're doing is, is amazing. So keep up the good work. And that does it for today's episode. Uh, guys, if you want to connect with Ken, head over to the show notes. Uh, I've got all of his information on LinkedIn. His website is podcast, all linked up down there. Uh, so you can connect with him. And then obviously, if uh, you get value out of this and or any other episode I put out, please go over to iTunes, uh, leave me a rating review. That really would mean a lot to me. It really helps me grow and gain critical feedback. And then if you're down in the show notes uh, while you're at it, get on, go, go find my Calendly link, uh, get on the calendar so that we can have a quick chat, get to know one another a little bit better, hopefully um, start up a friendship or uh, it, you know just have a conversation about life, the Olympics or uh, business or any of that good stuff. I'm an open book, would love to connect with you all personally. So without any further ado, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play and remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.